And if you are listening to me today somewhere in the world, and you have a pastor who's exposing error, who's exposing false teaching, who's exposing false immorality, he is not being judgmental. He is being obedient to what God has called him to do as a pastor. And you should pray for him rather than criticize him. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, Pastor Carl will continue his lesson on the problem of judging by outlining what it looks like and the solutions to that problem. Let's join Pastor Carl as he continues his lesson in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. For a person who irrevocably rejects the truth, we are to withhold the gospel pearl. We are to practice spiritual discernment and the distribution of spiritual truth. Sometimes our witness needs to be discriminating. We need to think through what we're doing. I remember when I was serving as a campus pastor at the University of North Carolina, and one Tuesday evening, I went into a fraternity house and spoke to about 90 men, and you could hear a pin drop. You knew the Spirit of God was working, and that evening, 12 men gave their lives to Christ. Two days later, I was in another fraternity house, just a few doors down, about 100 students, and there were lewd, blasphemous remarks, open hostility towards the gospel that I was sharing. I mean, there was just a stubborn refusal. And for me to persist with these young men, for them to take God's precious gospel pearl and trample it under the mud, I mean, what can be more depraved than to blaspheme the Savior, to accuse him of evil, to make fun of God's book and God's message. And so I got up and left. Now, that was one isolated event some 40 years ago. If you know anyone who works in campus ministry today, you talk about a growing hostility and opposition and hatred to the things of God. If you have a young man or woman headed off to the university, they are going to be lonely. They are going to be unique in a sea of immorality, and you need to prepare them for the day that we're living in because the number one interest of college students today in America is licentiousness. Just this week in one of the high schools in Ohio, instead of having a prom and queen and king, they, they had it. Two lesbians. And the parents, some of them came unglued, and they went to the school board, and they were just laughed and mocked out of the room. And we have a president and a vice president whom I pray for. And I feel a little bit like Elijah. How do you pray for an Ahab and a Jezebel? I mean, we're talking about some really wicked policies. And if you listen to our president's speech this past week and his goal in the next 100 days to affirm equality, meaning to legislate transgenderism and, and homosexuality as an appropriate way of life and to legislate righteousness out of America, that's the kind of president that we have. And so we need to be discerning. And by the way, God practices what he preaches. 
Jesus on occasion would leave a town and no longer give them the message because of their total rejection. And there's coming a day in the world when half of the world's population will die. It's known as the Great Tribulation period. And only those who have never heard the gospel before in power and clarity will have the opportunity during that seven-year period to receive Jesus as their Lord. Why? Because they will have definitively rejected the Lord and they will follow the Antichrist and God himself will send a deluding influence as a judgment upon them. When Jesus sent out the 12, he unfolded this important principle. He told them that they went, when they went into towns and homes and people were receptive, that they were to bless that home. But when they came to a place where there was rejection, he said, whoever does not receive you, nor heed my words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Just know there's a time when it is totally inappropriate to share the gospel, to try to force feed it on someone who's just going to throw it up all over you. You say, is there any hope for such people? God is sovereign, and we trust in his sovereignty. But there comes a time to exercise spiritual discernment rather than let someone grind the precious gospel under their feet and so when Jesus tells Christians not to judge, he was certainly not prohibiting law courts, nor was he prohibiting critical thinking or wise discernment. Put out there in the margin next to this verse, John 7, 24. All judgment is not forbidden. Listen to these words of Christ. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He says, judge but judge with righteous judgment. Now, I know that there are some people who think that you're un-American, you're un-Christian, you're just flat out wrong if you don't put your arms around everyone and say, hey, your religion, your lifestyle is as good as mine. Whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to do, as long as you're loving, it's okay. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And here is the reason why. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And if you know the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address this very issue beginning in verse 15, where he states, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We are to judge. We are to view some people as not representing the Lord. That involves critical thinking. That's why the Apostle Paul could say in the letter to the church of Galatia, as we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Paul assumes that we can judge and discriminate against another gospel, a false gospel. In fact, in church discipline itself, when there's open, unrepented sin that brings disgrace in the body of Christ, there is to be a judgment that comes. Paul writes the Corinthians because they failed to do what they were supposed to do. And so with that man who was sleeping with his stepmother, he said, for I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him 
who has so committed this as though I were present. And Paul uses the same root word for judge that James is using here. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.15, using the same word, he says the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, there are some liberal pastors who have accused me of being judgmental. When I refer to Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, as cultists leading people to hell, they say I'm wrong. We broadcast from Maine to Florida in a number of different locations, and I get the letters. Or if I speak out against homosexuality, or transgenderism, or fornication, or adultery, or getting high, getting drunk, getting buzzed, things that are wrong and displeasing to the Lord, they'll say, who are you to judge? Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Paul explicitly says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5 that we, are to be, that we are to be trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. He says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And if you are listening to me today somewhere in the world and you have a pastor who's exposing error, who's exposing false teaching, who's exposing false immorality. He is not being judgmental. He is being obedient to what God has called him to do as a pastor, and you should pray for him rather than criticize him. Hebrews 5.14 says that we are to be discerning between good and evil. Look, every time you step into a ballot box, you are making a judgment of sorts. And that's why Paul in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, in trying to protect the shape of the church at Rome, points out the opponents. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he names Hymenaeus and Alexander as examples of those who reject the true doctrine and follow what is false. He was not afraid to even name people. This is not a contradiction of Jesus' command not to judge because it's not wrong to be discerning and it's not wrong to be discriminating. Listen, there are some things that are just plain wrong judgments that God has made for us. God says adultery is wrong. God says fornication is wrong. God says sodomy is wrong. God says transgenderism is wrong. There's no such thing as a hundred genders. This is utter nonsense. This is a nation that is being given over in judgment to an upside-down, depraved mind. There are some things like lying and stealing and envy and disrespecting the police. These are wrong things. This is not my judgment. This is a judgment God has made in Holy Scripture. But you take a stand on something that's moral and theological, and you take an absolute stand where God has taken an absolute stand, and they'll say, judge not, lest you be judged. And so we have a generation of teenagers. Have you read lately Generation Z and the things that they believe and the things they are ascribing to? Those born after 1993, it's appalling, it's chilling. And we have this generation of teenagers who are being sucked down into this cesspool of sin because we don't have enough men who will stand in the pulpits and say, thus saith the Lord. So we've thought here for a moment about what it does not mean. 
He is not forbidding the ability to distinguish between good and evil and right and wrong and truth and error. But Jesus is forbidding, as we'll see, the unmerciful, self-righteous condemnation of another individual. Put out in the margin Luke 6.36. You can turn there if you want or you can listen to it. It's an entirely different occasion, an entirely different sermon, but it needed to be heard again. Many times a sermon needs to be preached and re-preached, and you're often preaching it to people who are hearing it for the first time. And so in Luke 6 and verse 36, Jesus said, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And then Jesus says in verse 37, and do not judge, and you will not be judged, and do not condemn, and you will not be condemned, pardon, and you will be pardoned. Now, the Greek conjunction chi is the first word in the sentence, and. It's no longer in the newer edition of the New American Standard in most English translations, because sometimes we're trying to make it less wooden and more readable. But here it's, I think, important because he's inseparably connecting mercy and judgment and condemnation all together. He's talking about the kind of judgment that displeases God, that of unmerciful judgment. He's talking about the unloving, unmerciful condemnation of another person. He is speaking of that negative, destructive person who just enjoys finding fault. And that's what a judge pers judgmental person do. He is typically a fault finder. And he needs to be as generous with others as he is with himself, but he never is. He's never consistent. And sometimes a judgmental person will, will actually judge something that is absolutely right and true, but he's reading someone's motives that he cannot read. So back here in Matthew 7, when Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, he is not forbidding someone evaluating another individual in terms of morality, in terms of theology, and the like. I mean, how can you possibly determine what a false prophet is in this section if you can't make some critical evaluations? And again, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. That involves some careful judgment. For that matter, how can you obey Christ's command in Matthew 18 to exercise church discipline? Or what we just read in 1 Corinthians 5 from the Apostle Paul. Now, don't lose Matthew 7. Go back to James chapter 4. And let me read verse 11 again. James chapter 4 and verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. He's, he's equating these two. So to clarify what James means by this statement, we know he does not mean what he does not mean. He is not speaking against moral choices. But he is talking about having a brotherly, loving, kind attitude towards one another. Not to speak against a brother because when you speak against a brother... You're judging that brother. Now, there's a difference between a wise judgment and a judgmental person. 
There's a difference between judging and judgmentalism. There's a difference between thinking critically and being a critical person. And contextually, he's dealing with believers. I've underscored that three times. Once in the plural brethren, twice in the single brothers. In other words, he's not saying, all those wicked pagans out there, they're so bad we need to speak against them. Well, we do, because when you raise the law up, it's a school teacher to lead people to Christ. You lower the standard. People don't see their need. We hold the standard. But he's not talking about our dealing with a pagan world. He's talking about not those folks out there. He's talking about the folks in here. And the believers in the first century church had the same problem that we have in the 21st century church. So to judge is to disrespect God's people. Secondly, notice beginning in verse 11, to judge is to disrespect God's principles. Not only is it to disrespect God's people, it is to disrespect God's principles. Now let me read all of verse 11 this time. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Now, you will notice further here in verse 11 that he tells us that not only are we speaking against a brother, we are speaking against the law. In fact, four times in this verse, I have it underlined, he mentions the law. Now, the article, the is actually not at all in this verse. Translators put it in there to smooth it out, kind of like uh, when we in America were saying, well, he went to the hospital. That's just good American English, but it's poor British English. They'd say, he went to hospital. I'd say, say the hospital. He went to hospital. Well, we add it in American English to smooth it out. But in some of the British translations, it's not there at all, and it's not in the Greek New Testament. Let me read it to you out of the YLT translation. He says, speak not one against another, brethren. He who is speaking against a brother and is judging his brother doth speak against law and doth judge law. And if law thou dost judge, thou art not a doer of law, but a judge of it. Now, why is this important? Because he's not talking about the law, the Mosaic law. He's talking about the principle of law that he has been underscoring in this short little letter that is to basically govern our lifestyle. If you remember in 125, he spoke of the perfect law, the law of liberty, which he further defined in chapter 2 as the royal law the law of Christian love. And if you were here for those sessions, we proved to you, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, that the law of liberty is the law of the royal law or the law of the king. Let me refresh your mind with James 2 and verse 8. If, however, James writes, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So the royal law is the law of the king. It's the law of Christ. And we know that because it was revealed through a conversation that we studied some months back that Christ had with some of the religious leaders, with a scribe. Let me refresh your mind with that encounter as it's recorded in Mark 12 and verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. And recognizing he, the Lord Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? 
You need to understand these people were not consumed with Facebook and the internet and Instagram. They didn't spend their time saying, who's going to win the Super Bowl or the World Series? They talked about scripture. And sadly, we live in a day where we don't have men. Men who, because they know the scripture, want to interact and dialogue and discuss scripture. So they had 613 precepts. And they wanted to know what was the most important, what was the foremost, what was the greatest. And so Jesus answers him by quoting what we call the Shema. Jesus answered, the foremost is here. That's the Hebrew word Shema. So we call this commandment the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's vertical. You love God. But then verse 31, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment not commandments. There's no other commandment, singular, greater than these, because these two are inseparable. We are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And by the way, neighbor has been expanded by the Lord Jesus in that great parable of the Good Samaritan to include any opportunity God gives us to serve. But the king's commandment, the royal law reflects the king's heart. And this is what his subjects are to do. And there's no court of appeal on this. This is part of our lifestyle. In fact, he takes it and expands it even further there in the upper room in terms of expressing the quality of the royal law. Let me read to you John 13, 34. A new commandment. I give to you that you love one another, even as, that is in the same way, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Jesus calls this a new commandment, or in the words of the Apostle James, the royal law. Now understand that the word here, new, is not the Greek word new in terms of time. It is the Greek word new in terms of kind. There's nothing new about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It goes all the way back to the Torah when Moses records it. So in what sense is this a new commandment? It's not new in that it's never been addressed before, but it's new in the standard by which we are to carry it out, even as I have loved you. The standard is we are to love one another as the king has loved us. Every disciple is to love one another as Christ has loved us. John will say this in 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in this context, the way to start by getting down dirty and real when he gives this new commandment is he gets down and he serves those men and he washes their feet. <clears throat> A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this, verse 35, by what? By witnessing your love for your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 
Tertullian, the great church leader, about a century later commented that the pagans would repeatedly say, see how these Christians love one another. And of course, love took on a new meaning and a new power after Christ gave this command when he literally laid down his life in our place. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. This has nothing to do with a fireman rushing into a building to save someone. It has everything to do with the Lord Jesus who laid down his life for you. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, he made this forgiveness real and the power to carry it out possible. By this all men will know you are my disciples. If, it's a conditional statement, if, you have love for one another. The mark of the royal law, the mark of true discipleship is not the doctrinal statements you ascribe to. Some people think, by this all men we will know we are his disciples if you are fundamental in the faith. Listen, if you know me, I believe in biblical orthodoxy. I believe not in the way the cooperative Baptists in our state are defining inerrancy. They have it in their church statements. They don't mean what Jesus meant. They say the Bible is inerrant in its ability to lead you maybe to the Lord, but not in every single word. And that's why First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina is doing gay marriages. No, I believe every single word down to the tenths to the smallest jot or tittle is inspired, that there's not a single error. I believe that Christ literally, physically, actually died in our place as an object of the wrath of the Father bearing the judgment that we deserved, that he proved his sinlessness when he didn't just spiritually get raised from the dead, but when he literally, actually, physically came out of the grave in a resurrection body. And yes, I believe Jesus is actually coming again to judge the living and the dead. But with all that said... An unbelieving world first looks at our testimony. And you can ascribe to a sound doctrinal statement, but when there's gossip and backbiting and talking and division, you don't have their ear. Jesus plainly said the badge of discipleship is love for one another even as he loved us. That's why God knows nothing of an unchurched New Testament believer. He knows nothing of these Christians who just float. He knows nothing of these Christians who just show up on Sunday morning at 11 and get in nowhere and never get their hands dirty. You can't love the people of God if you don't know the people of God. So James says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother judges his brother, speaks against the law, and judges the law. So this sin, one, breaks the royal law, and that we're called to love one another. And secondly, it breaks the standard that God has set for us. When we speak down on a brother, we're taking the role of a judge in a courtroom. We're putting ourselves in the place of the law. We don't even give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt that our own court system does that the person is innocent until he is proven guilty. And so we've set ourselves up not just against our fellow brother, we've set ourselves up against God. Now there's a progression here. I hope you've seen it. To speak against a brother is to judge a brother and to speak against the law. When you speak against God's law, you've become a judge of the law rather than a doer of the law. An unbelieving world first looks at our own testimony as Christians. 
And when we speak down about another brother or sister in Christ, we are putting ourselves in the place of the law. If you enjoy today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 010. Maybe you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Carl personally. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.